Hey chicas, hey girlies, welcome to the first episode of Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a forgotten classic, or even a problematic fave, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, I'm a writer, music business professional, and pop culture expert based out of LA, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is subversively a heterosexual guest. Please welcome writer, director, and filmmaker Aditya Joshi. Hey, Drew. So so happy to be here. So happy to break the mold before the podcast even starts. How does it feel to do a gay man's podcast? Um, I only do gay men's podcasts. Or what? Well, wow, that is so gorgeously tolerant of you. <laughs> I know. I refuse. I refuse. If I'm asked to be on a podcast with a straight host, I refuse. That is allyship in action, and I feel like so many others in your community can take note. I know. Well, no one ever asked me to be on podcasts, so it's really just this. <laughs> it's really just this. And then my own podcast, which has quite a few heterosexual guests, but, you know. And me. And you. And quite a few queer guests as well. It's a podcast okay. about minority representation on film, so you get to rerun the gambit. Ellis, is it gay to have a gay man on your podcast? <laughs> Is it straight to have a straight man on your podcast? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Actually, everything I do is queer. I stand in my queerness. I live my truth every day. And, you know, they threw the first brick at Stonewall so that I could live out loud. And I'm you a little, just have to be bear, bear witness to that. I'm a little worried that future episodes of Crisis Twink are going to talk about how problematic this podcast is. <laughs> the first 45 seconds. No, this is, yeah, it's going to be like the gay red scare, gay choppo. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> Crisis Twink is actually a podcast where we bring on straight guests and manipulate them into homophobic rants and then they, we cancel them. That's, that's <laughs> Next Crisis episode, Twink. I have Steve Bannon on and then he's just like, <laughs> goes all the way off. Um, do you know what a twink is? Yeah, you've explained it to me. You explained to me the whole twink, otter, bear thing in college. Oh, that's a tough look. Wait, for me, tough look for me. Um, to talk about otters, two straight men, I think is t a tough <laughs> look for me. So in your parlance, what is a twink? Oh, I don't. Um, a, a twink is a subgroup of um, gay man who is usually quite skinny. Um, I guess like stereotypically effeminate perhaps and also i don't know I, I don't know i think that's probably a little hairless because otters are hairy right so <laughs> that's that's what i understand Lied. you could have stopped at could sub but that was pretty good <laughs> pretty good <laughs> oh my god wow what a gorgeous merriam webster definition um can you give I, me your definition of twink as as it relates to this podcast a nightmare so we're going to segue into our first segment. Um, we're going to play a game called Go Call the Governor. Okay. I'm going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and ancient history, and you're oh, going to no. decide whether or not the governor needs to be called. There oh, are boy. no wrong okay. answers. No wrong answers. Okay. But your choice is binary. Are you calling the so governor or, or not? not. Okay. Or not. So let's play. All right, we're going to start some one... We're gonna start this off with an easy one. Oh boy. Okay. V-neck t-shirts. Oh, what? I said, are you sharing your screen? Is it a PowerPoint? Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't do the work on this podcast, you do. <laughs> um, the first 
topic is v-neck t-shirts does the governor need to be called yes but v-neck sweatshirts no a v-neck sweatshirt oh, yeah, oh know, like, like a like a merino wool a yes. cashmere you can the governor can stay at home for that but i think okay. you should be called for a v-neck t-shirt it's I, not 20 it's not 2012 we're not going to warp tour <laughs> no no <laughs> The, like, I always associate it with, like, American Eagle, Abercrombie, all well, the places that everyone we know who moved to Columbus work. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, the, the thing, I, the association I have with V-neck t-shirts is in early to mid-high school, I think that we all went through this moment. We were like, okay, we're going to stop wearing short sleeve shirts, under long sleeve shirts, under short sleeve shirts. Um, even the ones that I owned, which were combination short sleeve shirt short sleeve shirt, long sleeve shirt, mm -hmm. where it was actually just one garment, but it looked like two shirts stitched together. Say no more. I, <laughs> I wore those exclusively from the ages of 13 to 15, and they were all from Billabong or Volcom. Right, exactly. Toxic. Toxic. And Quicksilver, I'm sorry, and Quicksilver. Yes, we were young boys who could not skate, who decided that we were going to wear layers that weren't actually layers. I, I did not <laughs> own my first pair of Vans until I was maybe 19, so it truly, that's a pr my earliest brush with appropriative culture okay so this is yeah so this is kind of that moment but in my hometown at least it hit a little earlier so around like 15 or 16 we all started buying and i was a little bit on the forefront of this because i'm nothing if not a follower of trends mm -hmm. um like to a fault probably like i have just wardrobes full of things that are abandoned from trends i liked for a year um but anyway i bought some skinny jeans and some deep v-neck t-shirts yep. to go with my vans and that was my look for a year and a half or two years until right before college where very toxically um as all my friends were starting to rush mizzou and i was getting ready to Ooh. head to duke <laughs> yeah you buy vineyard vines you buy all the nonsense knockoff mm -hmm. vineyard vine brands that are a little bit cheaper like southern marsh and southern yeah. other things that all a have J. Fish Crew logos. Factory. Uh, but not quite a j crew factory more yeah. like it's got to be really explicitly um like into restricting voting rights like that's yeah that <laughs> a, rep a republican chic <laughs> yeah exactly exactly oh gorgeous well let's move on to our second the second topic is addison ray's pop career no no call the governor yeah did you watch the kimmel uh, performance or fallon performance i, I did watch the family fa uh, the fallon performance i'm like so i'm not an, super on tiktok i've only really been on tiktok like watching things for the last couple months um but I watched that performance. It was clear she, A, wasn't singing, and B, the song was bad. And also, I, I don't think she's a good dancer outside the context of TikTok. No. I think us with our limited hip-hop one and two training <laughs> senior year could do what she does at the same level, if not better. The, actually, the worst part of that Fallon appearance, I only watched, I didn't watch her interview. I watched her, pop perform, her performance of her new song, and then I watched the wordless four minute hellscape mm -hmm. of her and Jimmy Fallon doing TikTok dances or rather Jimmy Fallon holding up signs like yeah. like um, the guy from Love Actually, Andrew, what's his name from Love Actually? Yeah, I don't know. As Addison, yeah. as Addison Ray did TikTok dances and one, obviously problematically, didn't at all mention who created the dances, fine, that's bad. But two, they just look ridiculous outside yeah. of the context of like your tiny screen. I mean, I think they look ridiculous on screen too. I mean, that I've just never seen anyone actually dance like that, like yeah. in the club, in the function, like in the ah, ah, ah. Like there's nothing, nothing realistic about that sort of movement. Watching me. the Corvette, Corvette dance. 
yeah. was like truly nightmarish. Like the little weird dolphin thing they do. And I'm like, you look really stupid right the now. The one that really tickles me is the blinding lights one where she's just like <laughs> aggressively <laughs> kicking her leg out. I'm like, oh my God. Like if I saw someone do that in public, I would I would call the fire department. I would call yeah. the governor. <laughs> I would, I would call, call the governor. governor. Um, it must be said that I do like the song. So oh, really? I am, well, yeah, I'm a gay man with no taste. So. Wow. I can't be held accountable. I feel like you often lambast me for my own taste in pop music. Well, I think the fundamental difference is that I don't think that men can make good pop music and you can. And you do. You do think that. Yeah. I think there are exceptions to the rule, but like. Okay. I think so the I'm last... texting you about things like Justin Bieber's new album. Which we will not. This will not be the crisis of. No, we podcast, can't. We can't but, talk about that today. Um, but, but I like it. <laughs> and I found things to perch on. I found I found things to land on. Three out of the thirty-three songs that are on that <laughs> album, I, I think I enjoyed. Um, let's move on to the third and last topic. Our most topical topic. <laughs> Breaking news, even, and definitely an Easter special for y'all. We are recording this on Easter Sunday. Christ he is, is risen. risen. Um, <laughs> Zendaya is the voice of Lola Bunny in the new Space Jam sequel. Does the governor need to be called? Um, only so he can declare today, um, April 4th, uh, Zendaya Day. She's, okay. she's the best. I, she, she is the I'd best. I'd watch her in anything. What Zendaya are your is thoughts? Michi, Zendaya is Lola Bunny. <laughs> Lola Bunny. Um, what are your thoughts on the desexualization of Lola Bunny? I think they should have kept the rabbit sexy because it's cultural. Yeah, I mean, look, the I would never begrudge anyone their fetish or their kink or whatever we want to call it, right? right. Like their preferences, their sexual preferences. Um, it just, if we're talking about pure basketball, it doesn't make a ton of sense. To have just like a real short crop top, you know, busty bunny. This isn't who framed Roger Rabbit, you know. Right. This is, you don't need a you don't need a sexualized Lola Bunny, especially in this movie where it seems like Lola Bunny is like playing Dwayne Wade. <laughs> <laughs> well, and Dwayne Wade is sexy. Like, don't get me wrong. But... Yeah, a very sexy man. But let me riddle you this though: in real life, in the non-Toon Squad version of basketball. In the 70s and 80s, and even one might say the 90s, people were wearing short shorts to play basketball. And I think this pivot to knee length over the past 20 years mm -hmm. is, that is a cultural emergency for me. I agree. I think, I think like mid-aughts basketball fashion was perhaps like the, the, the lowest point in basketball. Like I culture. agree. Basketball cultural intersection. Like, I mean, they were playing really in cool lots. It was crazy. <laughs> They're basically playing in like those Jean Prees. Oh, like, a Jean Prie. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, were, you're absolutely bad. right. Like it's, I don't know. I, I just, I really miss like the Larry Bird, like shorts up to your asshole aesthetic. Like, yeah, I want, I'm, I want shorts that slight, that show a little bit of compression short. Right. Right. But 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 okay, so here's the thing. If you, I think that we've we've equilibrated now to like a pretty reasonable short length. It's like above the knee, but but not so above the knee that you can see the compression short, which is like right. you know, it's we'll tasteful. live with that. But I don't think we need Lola Bunny's not in knee lengths, right, in this trailer. I don't think we need her in like booty shorts. Like if that's what you're asking me. Like, I do, do I wanna see a little I do do I wanna think see a little tail? Do I wanna see a little tail? Ooh. <laughs> Ew. 
Oh like, my probably God. not. Gross. I'm calling the governor on you for that one. <laughs> All right. Well, do you want to introduce the cultural emergency you're bringing to the ER this week? I'm the doctor. Yeah. You're the nurse. So, yeah. So this is like a chronic condition. It's not even like, it's like we've known that this is happening. It's a thing that continues to happen. But one headline in particular really stoked my flames this week on, on this cultural emergency, which is now, sequel culture. Okay, I know it's a podcast. We talk about sequel culture. Every podcast talks about sequel culture. Here's my thing. I'm not out on multiverses. I'm not out on expanded ver universes. I'm not out on like big tentpole movies having sequels. Give me all the Bond movies. Give me all the Marvel movies. I don't really like DC, but you can have Zack Snyder if you want. Like I'm talking about movies that have no business spawning a franchise, deciding that they there's more to explore and that instead of letting the creators who are clearly talented enough to justify more investment in their work, um, and instead of letting them do cool things, asking them to make sequels to movies that were pretty fine, mediocre at best, and like wrapped up on their own. Yeah, I agree so that, with that. That's my feeling. I, I was just looking up some sequels today. Um, and actually the one that's most egregious is not the one I texted you about, Drew, but if you had to guess what like pretty mediocre to bad um, action, movie from the last four years starring an a-list star but it was like a a movie that was dead on arrival that was getting a sequel this year mm. what would you guess this is a a, a a wide net i'm casting here but it's action it is action i tanya <laughs> i no, tanya I too but at least <laughs> tanya harding continued to live after after yeah. I, Tanya. Well, they no, had Margot it, Robbie play like a 14-year-old Tanya. They can absolutely make her play the 56-year-old Tanya. No, I, I actually, my first guess would probably be like the Alexander Skarsgård Tarzan, but he's not really like an A-lister. So. No, it's the Hitman's Bodyguard is getting a sequel. What's the, I don't even know what the Hitman's it's a movie Bodyguard is. Where like Ryan Reynolds plays Sam Jackson's bodyguard, or mm -hmm. Sam Jackson plays Ryan Reynolds' bodyguard. I don't remember exactly which one it is. But now there's a new movie coming out called The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. Okay, it's a mess well, of apostrophes. It's a mess of plot. It's like a why do we need this movie? I'm movie. addicted to that title. I'm I'm in on the title, but like anytime Ryan Reynolds is involved in a project, I tap out. Like I just find him so utterly charmless but i feel like he's always he is like a sequel guy right but but you can okay here's my thing if, if you're if you're trying to make if you're warner brothers whoever the hell is putting out the hitman's yeah. wife's bodyguard and you have ryan reynolds on like an overall deal and you're like ryan reynolds will do anything that we ask him to do i would rather if i'm me or if i'm warner i'd rather put him in free guy which like seems kind of interesting and is like a unique property action movie just for mm -hmm. the culture then putting put him in the hitman's wife's bodyguard and like a sequel to basically every bad movie he's ever made you know what i mean yeah i don't think we need definitely maybe again i don't <laughs> <laughs> definitely maybe i'm still deciding <laughs> i don't think we need another movie that's coming out this year peter rabbit 2 the runaway like yeah. i don't know if that needs a sequel like i don't I know you're speaking to a larger issue in that I feel like we actually don't have that many movie star movie stars right now. So we rely on existing IP and like the prolonging of existing IP to actually prop up people's desires to go to see new films. But there's a, but there's like a clear demarcation, right? It's like 
okay, we have basically every A-list movie star is either in DC or Marvel or in both right, right now. And that's fine. Like, okay, if you're going to, if we're going to have 40 Marvel movies and those are like all the action movies that are part of an expanded universe, I think I'm okay with that. What I'm less okay with, with is like IPing something that is not IP. It's this thing actually mm-hmm. on script notes, they talk about it a lot is like the most out there movie. It's like there's, they're developing a Rubik's Cube movie right now. And I'm sure there'll be three of them. Oh, like, the, what is a, a movie based off of the cube itself? Yeah, Psycho. Yeah. It's like a Jumanji kind of thing. There's <laughs> an eight ball movie in development too, like Magic Eight Ball movie. Like, why do we need these things? And and I guarantee you, there'll be like four. It's like anytime a movie is moderately successful or okay. Another example is they've been talking about trying to do a second, um, like a, a sequel to The Accountant, the With Ben Affleck, the, movie. the Ben Affleck one. Yeah, which is like. I don't know why we need it. We don't need I, it. No, that movie is actually kind it. of fun. I just watched it on a plane. That sort of makes sense a little bit more to me, though, in sort of a, a John Wick parallel way, in that there are action franchises where, like, guy beats up people first film, guy beats up people second film. Like, yeah, but that part of tracks. the appeal, but part of the appeal of some of these movies is that they are like original and they're trying something new. Like, yeah. I don't think it's going to make money or be successful if you're like, you liked The Accountant? <laughs> you get ready for oh, The and Accountant, Oh, and if Anna Kendrick's in it, forget it. Um, I, <laughs> you, know I, you know I ride for Anna Kendrick. I very much do not. Anna Kendrick <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds are, like, in the same pot for me. They're, um, they're in a movie together. Um, well, I won't be seeing that. <laughs> they're in a movie where, like, no way. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is, like, a serial killer? He sees his cats talk. Oh, oh yeah, from like ten years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, th- weirdly, that movie was directed by the woman who wrote and directed the movie for Persepolis, that like graphic novel. Oh yeah, I don't know that. Movie. It's a weird. That's yeah, another a... emergency. Is Anna Kendrick? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a whole emergency. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure give Anna Kendrick better episodes. roles, or give Anna Kendrick more to do. That's what I think. I think a future episode will be give Anna Kendrick less to do. Um, <laughs> The movie that really has been like raising my hackles about sequel culture, unnecessary sequel culture in general, is the A Quiet Place. Mm. Two. Two. Is that what it's called? Two I, Quiet Two Place. Two Quiet Two <laughs> Place. Um, I I just don't see why we need a sequel to that because so much of that movie's power was just having those four people mm-hmm. contained in that that setup. And the sequel looks like Bird Box. Yeah, it looks like Bird Box, and they've invited four or five new cast members to come join. So and I guarantee really... you they're making a second Bird Box. <laughs> yeah, people really... Actually, I don't know anyone who really liked that movie, but everyone I know watched that movie. And I think that's sort of a symptom of Netflix's blank check right. kind well, of culture anyway. I mean, the thing that really spurred this conversation, which is, like, this movie is fantastic, Knives Out. But Knives yeah. Out 2 and 3 just sold to... Netflix for $400 million. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'll, and I'll say what I said to you on, the, on in our text conversation about this. Like, I will not begrudge Gavin O'Connor, who directed The Accountant, or um, Ryan Johnson, who directed Knives Out, mm-hmm. for, like, getting their money. Like, if Netflix is going to pay you $400 million to churn out two other movies with Daniel Craig's Foghorn Leghorn Detective, like, take the money and go. Yeah, of course. But, but Ryan Johnson is, like, one of our best working filmmakers. Like we don't we don't need him stuck on like some we don't need him turning knives out, which was like an exceptional exercise in what a unique whodunit might look like in 2020, 2019, in a world where we don't really get movies like that, that are like twenty million dollar movies that are totally unique. Um 
And now he's turning that into like the fucking what are those movies called? The the Murder on the Orient Express movies. Yeah. He's turning it into Knives Out. It meets it, the Murder on the Orient Express, but instead of Kenneth Branagh, it's Daniel Craig. Like, and so much of the strength of that first movie was how good the cast was. And I don't really know how they build. I mean, it would have to be sort of like an anthology kind of thing, like the like Poirot universe or whatever. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And then was, you're but, just resting it on Craig and De Armas, which like I will watch Anna De Armas do basically anything at this point. And Daniel Craig too, honestly. But it just doesn't seem... um. No, it's not an organic extension of story or character. Right. And it's either, so what, what they end up doing, I think, is either Latin stuff made, and you can just keep socking away one for you, one for them. But, but it's the just Chloe like... The Chloe Zhao approach, if you will, like doing Nomad Land and the Eternals right. to but, keep... But you think, is someone going to come and be like, do Nomad Land 2? Like, no, Nomad Land 2 not. could easily, but you know, you could. That's what I'm worried about. They're, they're doing all sorts of, I think Knives mm-hmm. Out is, is in that vein for me. You know, at least that's a little bit more like popcorn movie genre. Like, mm-hmm. you can see the rationale for them doing it. I just don't think. I mean, it's not a good idea, and you know, those sequels aren't going to be nearly as nearly good as scary. the first one, right? But then again, there have been other genre movies, like Indiana Jones. I think, like, you could honestly apply that framework to the original three Indiana Joneses too. Yeah, I like, think Indiana were... Jones was built to be a series, though. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. It, it was a bit like more like a roguish American Bond kind of guy. He's an archaeologist. You know, it's like it has that kind of, again, anthological, episodic nature to it. Yeah. And I suppose Knives Out can as well. I don't feel like Stargirl can. I don't feel like the Hitman's Wives Bodyguard does. No, <laughs> no. But I do want to see the Hitman's Wives Bodyguard. I don't <laughs> like, think that... Just, that title is... You should not have more than one apostrophe in Right, it just, it's just a lot. What does the third one look like? The Hitman's Wives Son's Bodyguard? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they just like keep going, like find like extended family members, in-laws, like nannies, all those... Yeah. That type. So how do you let's treat this issue. Let's let's discharge it from the ER. How are we gonna fix this? Oh man. Okay, so I think that that a version of this that generally works okay for me, I think, is is like I don't and I don't watch horror movies, so I'm not super versed in this, but I think it's like the Cloverfield approach, which mm-hmm. the, not all those movies are good, but Cloverfield is like the broad or maybe the maybe the purge is a better one. Like, The Purge, again, has, like, six unnecessary sequels. We don't need six Purge movies. But it's more like the same concept and same formula, just reapplied with the, with indifferent story settings. Right. Which I think is, is perhaps more interesting than unnecessarily expanding the universe of a character that we're done with. Because what that allows you to do is... Actually, okay, Searching 2 is a great example of this. I really like the original Searching movie. Um, I interviewed Anish Chaganthi for my podcast. Like, he's a really great guy, really good director. Run, I thought, was quite fun. And he and Sebohanian, who produced that movie, and Natalie Kasabian, are producing Searching 2. But um, Anisha's not directing it. Mm-hmm. John Cho's not starring in it. Deborah Messing's not starring in it. It's like, conceptually, it's still, a, I think, a thriller, a whodunit, a mystery movie told through the concept of like a screen or like mobile applications. But it doesn't feature any of the same cast or any of the same crew, really, other than the producers to keep the storyline consistent. And they're just using it as a conceit. It's the Black Mirror approach. Yeah, I I think that's a smart way to, if not stretch the bones of the IP, at least like get some more mileage out of the name. Because that's clearly Mm -hmm. something studios are not going to stop doing. Um, 
but it does work well. Like, I mean, something I, I haven't seen the second unfriended movie, but the first unfriended movie from like five years ago, which is this is similar to searching actually in that it's like a zoom esque horror movie, mm -hmm. found footage horror movie. Um, the second one is, has nothing to do with the first right. one. And it's, the happy death both of them got like pretty this. good reviews. Yeah. A lot of horror movies are like this, I think. Yeah. Um, the Quiet Place is doing it the wrong way, probably. Definitely the wrong way. I think the Saw Saw is very much like a Quiet Place in that it was pretty serialized, and those mm -hmm. got terrible by the end. <laughs> Which is why I think the the new like uh, Chris Rock Saw movie mm. or like Spiral from the Book of Saw, whatever yeah. it's called, like it's, it's from the book. Good. Like it's not. It's a chapter. It's a different story. It's a short story and a. Right. in a much larger and it's not even a spin-off either it's not following a random minor character mm -mm. and it's like it's like just hey the, the concept is like this is what the universe is yeah like let's explore a different part of that universe i also think like so bollywood is the example that i i think of that is like does two versions this is kind of interestingly like their directors i think similar to here but like directors have like a very specific kind of currency like if you go see this is gonna be very niche for all my Bollywood fans out here, but a Sanjay Leela Bansali movie, you're getting like a massive period spectacle with gorgeous, like ornate costumes and like really melodramatic bullets shooting at slow-mo out of guns. It's mm -hmm. a little bit like, you know what you're gonna get out of a Zack Snyder movie, you know you're gonna get out of a Sanjay Leela Bansali right. movie. And in Bollywood especially, there's so much formulaic, like it's so formulaic. It's like, you're gonna have this kind of like rogue, roguish guy. You're gonna have this like gorgeous girl who like, maybe has a little bit of an edge, but they're from rival families. And there's like some inherent Romeo and Juliet tension to their movie or to their story. And then you're going to get two and a half hours of like dancing and singing. And then the, they're both going to die. And then the movie's going to end. And you know what you get going in, but it's a different character set. It's maybe even the same actors, but it's just like, it's just a different story every time. So it keeps you on your toes enough. There's a franchise yeah. in Bollywood that I really like. That's, that's, um, it's like so flighty and it's not like a serious movie at all. They're total popcorn movies. It's, it's like the Key Dolhania franchise, I guess is what it's called. The first one's called Humpty Key Dolhania, which is like the wife of Humpty, Humpty Sharma. And the second one is called Badri Key Dolhania, which is like the wife of Badri Sharma. And it's like the same actors, same two leads who have like great charisma, the same director, some of even the same side characters, but they all play completely different people and then they're in completely different environments. The, the only thing that's the same is that it's a rom-com with the same cast, mm -hmm. which, I would, which I would watch. That I mean, that really also harkens back to, I mean, the old Hollywood way of mm -hmm. making movies too, where everyone exactly. was on like contracts with the same studios. And I've been watching a lot of Criterion Channel selection films, like for the past, I mean, year honestly, like entire in the over the pandemic. And there are so many many movies like that where they'll have like Frank Sinatra and Rita Hayworth mm -hmm. are or Gene Kelly and Lucille Ball star in the same, it's like six films, movies in a row. Like, right. And, the, and they're all romances and they're, you know, there's gonna be singing, you know, there's gonna be dancing and you know, generally they're probably gonna end up together after some like trials and tribulations, but you don't know what those are. And it almost doesn't matter what the story is and, or how formulaic it is because the, the main draw is the actors themselves and their like chemistry and pairing. Mm -hmm. But it's still unique content with unique stories and giving right. different people the opportunity to write them and like, I don't know, different worlds and characters, the opportunity to be shown, like you just put them in different places, which I think is interesting. And so I need that more than I need the Hitman's Wife Bodyguard. That's my, that's my take. So our main diagnosis here. <laughs> 
is to lean into formula. (laughs) (laughs) No sequels, but lean into formula and lean into charisma. I think that's a workable template. Yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to replicate something, like if studio we just know that studios aren't gonna give Ryan Johnson a blank check to make whatever he wants next, right? Right. They'll give him forty million dollars to make knives out too. But let him make some other whodunit or some other other thriller. You don't need Daniel Craig in it, even though it worked really well. I don't know. Or for yeah. Stargirl, like let Julia Horowitz make another Disney like a new star coming of age <laughs> coming of age movie. I don't need like, the Stargirl the Stargirl character herself is so lame. No, like well, let's focus on a new quirky girl played by like Millie Bobby Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Something. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Not an ideal not an ideal diagnosis. The ideal the ideal fix is just make more original like fund knives out the first time yeah because <laughs> like, people like it we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back hi everyone before we get started with today's episode i just wanted to let you know that you can now support crisis twink with a small monthly donation to help support future episodes and operating costs there's absolutely no pressure to do this culture pig and crisis twink will always be free but any and all donations are highly appreciated. If you go to the show notes in whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, there should be a link marked listener support, and you can choose to contribute however much you want in just an easy monthly donation. So if that is something that you want to do, which, you know, I mean, very chic look for you to do that, very sexy, very cool to be financially generous. Come on, sugar daddy, yes. Yes, God. Hunty, slunty, slay, I say. Um, It would be really nice if you did it. So, And it is very unhinged to be doing this. And everything I just said for the past, like, 10 seconds is so unhinged. But, uh, yeah, absolutely try doing a donation if you can. Thanks. And on with the show. All right. We are back. And we're going to play our final game so it's called tear the community apart the rules are simple i've picked two songs and you're going to tell me which one is better sounds (laughs) easy right oh no (laughs) um so the our two choices today are both disco inflected hits from last year that have remained in the upper echelons of the charts till this day which is a better song it's a doable one. <laughs> oh, well, hey, no jumping the gun. Um, well, you are right. It is Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa versus Say So by Doja Cat. Oh, yeah. It's definitely Don't Stop Now by Dua Lipa. That, that album, it may be the best album of last year. It's, it's like top to bottom hits. Dua Lipa was robbed. It is phenomenal. Um, a disclaimer that I am a Warner Records employee, so I do work <laughs> for Dua Lipa. I'm on the payroll at uh, Lipa S Corp. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love Future Nostalgia so much. Like It really is just like hits on hits on hits. I, I came to it kind of late. Not that I didn't like Dua. I just think I, I'm just not great at like keeping up with with big pop album releases, unless it's like Justin Bieber or Ariana Grande, frankly, um, which, which you know, that is You're a crisis. You're like under the thumb of Big Scooter Braun. <laughs> I am under the thumb, except for I don't. Well, I guess I don't like Taylor Swift, so I'm really under the thumb of Big Scooter Braun these days. Oh my gosh! Um, I'm yeah, gonna just, tag. I'm tagging the Swifties. No, <laughs> They're coming for your ass. No, 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 no. Um, actually, an aside to the Taylor Swift, my Taylor Swift dislike is that I, as you know, am 
all in on the Olivia Rodrigo bandwagon. Oh, yep, me too, me too. Um, and I was I showed Sid, my roommate, I showed him Deja Vu, which is the new Olivia Rodrigo song. And I was like, so great. Like Drew said, you know, MFA and Lord. And Sid was like, if you like this, how do you not, you know who this sounds like? He was like, it sounds like Taylor Swift. It does sound like, like Taylor Swift. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> But I might have to give new Taylor a chance. Old Taylor just rubbed me the wrong but, way. But also, like, I think new Taylor is also very much like a child of melodrama in the same way that Olivia mm. is. Like, I, I do hear the Taylor, especially lyrically, in Olivia Rodrigo. I love how I was like, let's talk about Dua Lipa and Doja Cat, and we're talking about Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> But, we'll, come, um, we'll come back to Dua Lipa. Yeah, I, but no, I, I do, um, I think the, like, the production of it, it's done by Dan Negro, who was in, I think the band, it's called As Tall As Lions, but he's done stuff with, like, Caroline Polachek, mm-hmm. Chappelle Rowan, like, a lot of, like, kind of, you know, indie girls that, like, the gays love. Gays, are you listening to this? Um, you better be, but, like, it's called Culture, culture Twink. <laughs> crisis <laughs> Twink, Crisis Twink. Um, but they... I do think it like makes sense for Olivia to draw from those two people just because it feels like a more low-key confessional kind of songwriting that's still different from Billie Eilish, which I think is her closest sort of equivalent right now. Yeah. Well, what's crazy about this, and, and I'll tie it back to Dua in some capacity, I promise, is that it's been 12 to 15 years since Taylor Swift came on the scene. Yeah. And it's been, I don't know, seven years probably since Lord really popped. I think it was like our freshman year of college when yep. Royals was like huge. So maybe eight years now. Um, and so it totally stands that an 18-year-old Olivia Rodrigo would like be drawing super heavily from these people that have basically shaped her entire music taste. So it'll be interesting yeah. to see. I feel like I am only now, as I just turned 26 at the age where I'm starting to see like new generations of people come up influenced by people the same age as me. You know, that's like going to be super weird when in five to six years, there's like a ton of Dua Lipa knockoffs. Actually, probably oh, yeah. tomorrow, a ton of Dua Lipa knockoffs. I mean, we're, we're, we're like seeing it every day. Like, I mean, in Dua Lipa in and of itself, like, I'm talking about, like, the concept, I guess, not yeah. necessarily her proper. This most recent album really draws pretty heavily on, like, Kylie Minogue mm-hmm. and, you know, Turn of the Millennium Madonna. Early aughts, like all- early aughts mm-hmm. pop stars, yeah. There's a reason that uh, Peloton instructor Cody Rigsby, this is another... <laughs> White Scourge Cody Rigsby. <laughs> <laughs> Plays pretty much exclusively Britney Spears and Dua on his on his yeah. Peloton. I can hear it when I'm at my parents' house. My mom is just listening to, to just doing day after day Cody Rigby pop ride, and it's day after day Britney Spears and day after day Dua Lipa. Um, no, but I, I love I love Dua's new album, um, and I think it is a high watermark, a high point for. Um, a lot of what I actually, as I have started writing music, I've really enjoyed in- including, but also just I think generally is quite popular these days, like 80s inspired sound, soundscapes mm-hmm. in in the music. And, the, and all of, like a lot of the songs, um, <laughs> Good in Bed, a notable one, Don't Stop Now, obviously, yeah. Levitating, and then the one that I, I came to even later than the rest of the album, I have to figure out what, the, I can't, I can't remember what the song is called. Give me like eight seconds and I'll tell you. Um, oh my god, there's a club mix. I forgot about that. I'm keeping um, all of this in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called Cool. Yeah, Cool was, yeah. Cool was the sleeper for me, too. Um, beyond the singles, when I first heard it, Hallucinate was my mm-hmm. 
the one I immediately gravitated towards because it sounds like hung up Aaron Madonna, like the really classic like Kylie singles like come into my world and like I can't get you out of my head like I just love that sort of strobing club music Mm -hmm. but cool really sneaks up on you as just like an impeccably crafted piece of 80s inspired pop yeah I think a side b side of last year right the the weekend's Mm -hmm. album and Dua's album Um, and they came out basically at the same time last year like early Dua's is like a warmer of course because the weekend is perpetually morose yeah like, he's like, like a warmer version truly like skiing down like a mont tremblant of coke like <laughs> and she's like i don't know what she's doing like like tequila sodas yeah i don't know i i, I also listened to her song exploder about i think it's about don't stop now mm-hmm. and then watch the song exploder video netflix version of i think break my heart so i've, I've been deep into the the future nostalgia train i'm a big it's, fan it's definitely the I think it's one of the best, if not the best, big budget pop albums of the past five years. Alongside what would you say, Drew? I think you could pick Let's break the culture. Th- you can culture. pick three separate Ariana Grande albums for this. Okay. I think Dangerous Woman, Sweetener, and Thank You Next could all be in that conversation. I think I mean, honestly, I think Lover by Taylor Swift is excellent. Like, it's not, it's, I think it's not one of her best albums, but like, it really encompasses what she was trying to do on reputation in a way that feels a lot more her. And you know what? I'm, I mean, I'm a homosexual. I received my first dose of the vaccine and I'm gay. And Chromatica to me <laughs> I was gonna say, where's the Gaga? is, Gaga is pretty once. up there too, just because she's been doing this longer than. Mm-hmm anyone else in the current scene has but that's chromatica is still like pretty gaga by numbers though it's not like her best work oh yeah the last thing i'll say about dua lipa which will really mark me as a heterosexual man on this podcast is that she's i don't know i I have a huge crush on dua lipa i love dua oh yeah no she's hot she's super hot she's like (laughs) i mean it you obviously like this is not like a hot guy hot girl podcast or whatever like we are hotties we are hot guys but like we don't objectify on culture pig but like i do think that like dua lipa being a literal versace supermodel does like it it sells the concept of the music she's trying to do so well this like gyro dancey pop music Mm -hmm. i think it works i think it works for in the same way that ariana's like sex appeal works for her and and like kind of her like i'm tinkerbell but with an edge kind of look that she has going on um so it's like when she throws out like you know that means i want a 69 with you in this really like floaty voice at the end of 34 35 you're like ah, ariana's so cute like so cute <laughs> she, she <laughs> wants a 69 her with her man yeah. you know um, like and then and it's, i think it's entirely because of the image she's cultivated for herself and the way that she looks no, My, I, miley is another one who's like this oh she's yeah got absolutely. this like raw rock girl image we're definitely going to get to plastic music. hearts on future episodes of this podcast. Um, but that era, it's so weird to call it that era when it just kind of like started and ended within a four month span less than six months ago. But Yeah, Miley's album kind of came and went, I feel like. Yeah, well, she also exited a label deal right at the time that plastic hearts came out and then promptly signed a new one. So I think her next era is going to draw on plastic hearts and like rock iconography a little bit more and a little bit more big budget than this most recent era what'd you think of the duo miley duet that they released 
I like it. I think it's a little lumpy in its structure. Like, I think it either needs one more chorus or, like, a stronger bridge. But it's good. I think they have a lot of, like, they play well together. Mm -hmm. it's, it's part of a... I think I think that's the one. A lot of recent pop songs I've noticed have been co-written by my one of my favorite musicians, John Bellion, mm -hmm. and that was I think one of them. So as you know, I I'm a John Bellion stan. No, I mean he's he's everywhere album. right now. Yeah, I think a he co-wrote Peaches. Songs. I think. Uh, no, he co-wrote anyone, and he co-wrote like half the album, but Peaches yeah. was not one of the songs. I don't think. No, I mean he's he's really killing it right now, and I mean I like his solo stuff well enough too. But I think he really shines as a pop writer. Like he has a very good idea of like structure and melody that is missing from a lot, or at least until I think last year, like was missing from a lot of late twenty tens pop. So we didn't even talk about say so. Well, and you know what? It. We won't. We're not gonna. <laughs> we're not gonna do it today. So. Aditya, thank you so much for being here today. What would you like to plug at this time? Oh, um, yeah, I, um, I've got a podcast. It's called Technicolor Theater. Uh, if you like podcasts, you might like that one. It's, it's, uh, it's a part of MediaVersityReviews.com, which is a website that uh, grades films on the basis of their representation. And the podcast is, is of a similar vein. Um, I've also got music on Spotify. I'm just kind of trying to figure out how to write music, so... Shouts to Drew here for giving me a lesson in pop and pop. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, look, be on the lookout for film stuff. Big news ahead. Very awesome. And you can find me at FKA Pigs on Twitter and at Drew Haskins on Instagram and subscribe to my Substack newsletter, culturepig.substack.com <laughs> for free for more cultural writing from me. Get a domain, a, Drew. Yeah, gotta go. <laughs> We're going mainstream. We're taking Culture Pig worldwide. So until next time, this was Crisis Twink. Thanks, everyone. Like what you just heard? Go to the show notes and whatever podcast app you're listening to this on and click the donation link.